Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 to 17. And this is a message which has been taking over two weeks, and this is the second week, so this is going to be part B. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the second week we're spending on this reading. And last week we were hearing an amazing description of the church. And it was amazingly good. Uh, But for many of us, that hasn't exactly been our experience. Uh, As Paul described the church, he said some things that made us realise that the gathered, worshipping community of Jesus Christ truly is a foretaste of the coming kingdom of God. The church, that we're a group of people, and this is a place where we have taken off self and we put on Christ. Uh, And we stop thinking individually. And we as a church, we as a community, with Christ in our hearts, we put on the things of Christ. And so we have a gut-wrenching compassion for those who hurt. And we're a people who are filled with kindness and humility. And not just individually are we humble. We we as a church think of ourselves as being lowly. And so we don't fall into the prideful marketing and say, hey, we're the best church, you come to us. And there's meekness and we're patient. We, We bear with one another and we forgive because Christ has forgiven us and because Christ is in us. The very nature of Christ is to forgive. And so if Christ is in us, we will be a people who express this same nature of Christ and give forgiveness too. And then all of this is bound together with love. Uh, And and that's what makes this real, right? All of these things, all of these beautiful attitudes and actions are an expression of the love of Christ. And, And so it's not about forcing these things. It's not about pretending that we're loving and pretending that we're compassionate. Um, it, it comes naturally because we have the love of Christ. And together, the peace of Christ 
rules in our hearts. And the together bit, that's really important because we are called as one body. We don't gain peace by avoiding other Christians who we don't like or by avoiding other Christians who we don't get on with or people who we disagree with. We have peace because we let peace, the peace of Christ rule. It rules us. It rules our very attitudes. It rules our very actions. Now, when you think about the church in that sort of way, that's pretty cool. Who wouldn't want to be part of a church like that? And yet, I'm sort of willing to stake a fair bit on that most of us here, that hasn't always been our experience of the church. And for many people, it's been a place where they've been hurt. And, um, and today, we might get a bit of an inkling why. Now, I learned many, many, many years ago, long before I became a pastor, that the most conflict-free church meetings was those that were held in the context of worship. Right? So when we as a church are worshipping together, it's really hard to be at loggerheads with one another. When you're, when you're focusing on Christ and, 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 and worshipping Christ, um, and as we express our thankfulness and our adoration, conflict is just right out of place. It just doesn't belong there. And, and we all innately know that. But you know what? Worship isn't meant to be used as a means of managing potential conflict. Worship is a way of life. It's a way of life for us individually and a way of life for us as a church. Living lives in worship, in thankfulness and adoration. And so it shouldn't really come as any great surprise that Paul directs the church in Colossae to worship. Now, what is worship? There's several elements to it and, and, and Paul lists a few of them here. By the way, he doesn't actually use the word worship, but what he's describing that, that the church should be doing is what we call worship. And he begins with the word. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what is the word of Christ? You know, it, it sort of has a double meaning in the scriptures. Um, from the beginning of the Gospel of John, we know that Jesus is known as the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So in one way, for the, for the Word of Christ to dwell in us richly is for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to dwell in our hearts. And in this instance, the richness of the Word of Christ in us is the fruitfulness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, humility, self-control. But the word of Christ isn't only about the person of Christ. The word of Christ is also about what he says and what he teaches and what he commands. And how could it not be so? Now, when we think about how these two elements go together, the person of Christ is the word of Christ, but also the teachings of Christ is the word of Christ. Uh, John chapter 15 is a, a pretty good spot to hold this together for us. Reading from verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself 
unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Right Now, what's this abiding? That means staying with, sticking with, living with. Right. So if Christ stays with us and is in us, and if we stay with Christ and we are in Christ, Right, so this is a picture he's giving us. And, and how is Christ in us now? By the Holy Spirit. Um, so I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Right? So that's talking about him, the person of Christ, living in us. But then he goes on, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Right? So now he's, he's bringing into it his words, what he has said, what he has taught, what he has commanded. And if his words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. Why? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Right? So the command here, coming back to Colossians, is to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And for that to happen, we need to know Christ and to know what he taught. Uh, how do we know this? Through the scripture. And yet, you know what? For the majority of Christians today, they scripturally impoverish themselves. Access to the scriptures today is easier and greater than ever before. And yet the statistics are that two-thirds of Christians are not even reading their Bibles more than once a week. Sadly, generally the church of today has become a church that's biblically illiterate. In Australia, only 31% of regular church attenders, 31% at home privately read their Bible more than once a week. That's, that's pretty low, isn't it? And that's in those who regularly attend church. And of course, that number drops right off when you count those people who, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Well, they read their Bibles even less regularly. How does the word of Christ live in us and not just in a meager way not just in a miserable way not in a miserly way this is about the word of christ living in us richly the word of christ getting pride of place in our lives it's it's importance to us is paramount it's about christ in our hearts richly producing the fruit of the spirit and it's about knowing his word, knowing his teachings, knowing his commandments, and obeying him. And how much we hunger for God's word is a sure sign 
of spiritual maturity. We, we find that in Hebrews chapter 5. One of, one of the biggest causes of brokenness in church fellowship um, is where people of the church disagree. And often the reason they disagree is because we get full of our own ideas and then we're only interested in God's word if it affirms what I already believe. But for the word of Christ to dwell in us richly means that we don't go off and follow popular psychology. Uh, we don't adjust the scriptures to fit the attitudes of society. We don't reinterpret the scriptures to fit what I want my lifestyle to be. What it means is we dwell in his word and his word dwells in us. The teachings and the commandments of Christ, these are things that change us and transform us. I can guarantee you 100% that if you read the word in all of its simplicity, and then you don't try and explain it away, I can guarantee you that, that you will be changed by it. Jesus' disciples were constantly getting challenged by his words. And I know that if I'm not being challenged by God's word, that's a pretty sure sign that I'm not letting the word of Christ dwell in me richly. Hebrews chapter 4 describes God's word like this. It says, for, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Right? That's, that's how the word of God is described. And that's the sort of word that we're talking about. And yet many treat the word of God like flummery. You know what flummery is? Bubbly sweetness with no substance. It's not bubbly sweetness with no substance. It's sharp. It's living. It's active. It's cutting. And it transforms. Right. So a second element of worship is what we do with, with the word. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I'll let the plane go. I saw Laura looking up, wondering, is that Alex? <laughs> Doesn't sound like him. No. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, teaching the word of Christ in a fellowship is worship. Do you understand this? Um, strangely, most of us think that worship, that's the singing bit, and then we do all the other stuff. Um, and, and with the singing bit, it's, it's especially worship if it's done by a really good band and it's music that's just going to envelop me and give me a feeling of wonder. And Seriously, that, that's the only way some people can worship. They're going to be in trouble if they ever get stuck in the desert. How are you going to worship God? But teaching and admonishing is a primary part of worship. Uh, teaching, by the way, isn't a time for regurgitating platitudes. 
And it's not a time for sprouting off spiritual sounding slogans or even for just sharing our own experiences. Teaching is about hearing the word of God, reading the word of God, hearing it, and then being taught how, how it applies to our lives. Now, when it comes to teaching, it, it seems to me that there's two common approaches to this in churches. One type of church will give prominence to the Word of God, right? They will read the Scriptures and then unpack and teach what we've just read. Um, and if it's offensive, that's not a problem because we know that the Word of God is offensive. Uh, if it's cutting, that doesn't matter because the Word of God cuts deep and that's a good thing. If it convicts me of sin, we know that's the Holy Spirit at work and, and, we, and we are then led to repentance so that we can experience the grace of God. Now, that's, that's a really good thing. And yet the fashion today is to make the message the prominent bit. We decide what we want to say and we might even use our own experience as the prominent bit. And then maybe we might refer to a, an odd Bible verse here or there or whatever and, and, a, and a whole bunch of religious slogans to try and back it up. Now, what, what this is, is the age-old temptation to turn the focus onto ourselves instead of on Christ. Now, I think you know what sort of church we are. Um, and I'm, I'm humbled to be giving this message today. That the focus of the ministry here at Bush Disciples and, and at Bon Jean and, and where everyone's listening to it, it it's, our focus is teaching the word. We don't teach a particular systematic theology. We're not a denomination. We're not tied to any particular denomination, wheelbarrow or hobby horse. We just teach what the Bible says. That's all we do. And amazingly, God has been growing the number of people who, who have been accessing these messages from away. They just download them from all over the place and listen to them regularly. And it's not because we're particularly marvelous. It's not because we're, we've got fantastic speakers or anything, uh, because we don't. This, it's simply because people have a hunger to hear God's word in all of its simplicity and just to, to have teaching straight from that. And it's always been that way. Uh, when I was younger, I used to spend seemingly endless hours driving tractors and I used to listen to this Baptist pommy preacher by the name of David Pawson. My mum had boxes and boxes of his cassettes and I would just devour these. They, they came in boxes of 10 and, and usually one box wouldn't be enough to, for, for the day. Um, though other times I'd, I'd listen to a bit of music in between and they would be enough for the day. But I just craved good Bible teaching. And at the time I never had any idea that 30 odd years later There'd be, there'd be farmers sitting on their tractors, listening to their iPods, devouring the word of God, coming from this little church. And if you're somebody who's listening to this today, um, we, we just give praise to God that, that you are finding this useful. And, um, and we're just very humble that, that, that God is doing this. You see, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom is critical when it comes to the Word of God. 
We all need teaching. I need teaching. I, I've been taught for years, and you think, you know, oh, who teaches Michael? Michael reads heaps of commentaries. He listens to sermons each time before he gives a message here. I'm being taught all the time. You need to be taught. I need to be taught. We all need teaching. And in my experience, the hardest and the most destructive people in churches are those who are unteachable. Um, some folk are unteachable. They think they know everything and I know what's right and if you don't believe what I believe, well, you must be wrong. And usually the thing that makes us unteachable is self-confidence, which is a form of pride. I know best. And we live in an era where many of us like to make up our own truth and we like to believe that we can discover and make our own truth. The saying is, truth is subjective. But, um, I'll have my truth, you have your truth, and we'll get on famously together. No, we won't. We won't. Because that destroys fellowship. If you and I believe different things, if my image of Christ isn't the image of the Christ of the Scriptures, or if the gospel that I believe isn't the teaching of God's Word, how can we be unified in worship? We can't be. And how can we be unified in fellowship? We can't be. But Christ has built a safeguard into his church. This safeguard, though, we all too often ignore. It's teaching and admonishment. And particularly, it's admonishment that gets ignored. In fact, admonishment is so ignored, I suspect that at least half the people in churches today have no idea what admonishment even is. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I'm pretty sure there'd be people here who don't know what admonishment is. Now, I used to think that admonishment was correction, right? So it meant to correct someone, um, to say to them, look, I understand what you believe, but it's wrong. And let me show you in the scriptures why what you believe is wrong. But admonishment is mu goes much further than that. It's not just correcting, it's warning. It's giving a warning. A and throughout Paul's writings, we'll often find the Apostle Paul warning churches to reject false teachers, warning them to reject false teachings, and to hold fast to the things of Christ. And not only Paul, pretty much every one of the, of the New Testament writers, and even Jesus himself, constantly gave warnings. This is admonishment. And so it wouldn't, shouldn't really come as a surprise to us that as we read the scriptures and as we teach from the scriptures, guess who's getting the admonishment? Us. We're getting, we're getting corrected and we're being warned this correction's really important. But the problem is many of us just skip over these warnings because Oh, that's only for those people who are way off track. I, I know what's right. Really? That, that's pretty much what, what the people that they were writing to would have been thinking. And so the job of the Bible teacher will be often to include admonishment, warning. Stop believing what's popular and start believing the word of Christ. Let the word of the Lord 
be what dwells in your heart. Not the word of the celebrity preacher, not the word that's been blunted down so that it's not so offensive, and not the, the word that's going to let you believe whatever your heart desires. Don't, don't let those things dwell in you. Let the word of the Lord be what dwells in your heart richly. But you know what? When a preacher teaches that, it doesn't make one popular. Uh, and it's always been that way. Today, in, like in the Old Testament and like in the New Testament, to admonish is a very godly thing. But people hate it. Now think of the prophets of old. They would admonish God's people. And some of those were beaten. Some of them were put in stocks. Some were imprisoned. Some were killed. We hear the story of one that was sawn in two. Think of Paul when he admonished. Some of the churches that he had planted, he had to warn them. And some of those turned on him. And you can see that coming through in some of the letters. His heart is just breaking because he started these people off following the pure word of Christ. Then they took on their own ideas and he tried to correct them and then they sort of wrote him off. You can see that coming through. And for me, personally, as a pastor, there's been times when I've had to warn people what you believe is wrong or warn them what you are doing is sin or to tell them the things that, that you are craving, you tell me that this is the spirit leading you, but I can see very clearly that this is a craving of your flesh. Right? I, I've had to warn people. How do you think people take that? Not very well. Not very well. And generally, that people just don't like to hear that sort of stuff. And so sometimes, not always, but sometimes, uh, we'll never see them in church again. Uh, they find a fellowship where they will be affirmed in what they believe and they're not going to be offended by what I've said or by what the, whoever the teacher is says. Now, that's sad, but it's true. And there are many people who do not regularly fellowship in a church today because they have been admonished. And it's like, well, if you're going to be like that, I won't go to church anymore. So the scriptures have been used to correct what they believe and to warn them to hold fast to Christ and what he taught rather than taking on the thinking of men. They've been offended and in their self-righteous pride. They just completely cut themselves off from the Christian fellowship. And this is why it takes wisdom. We're not talking human wisdom. We're not talking about human management wisdom or about church growth wisdom. We're talking about spiritual wisdom. And sometimes spiritual wisdom is what we need so that we will do the hard things no matter what the cost. This is about knowing the word of God and being filled with the spirit of God. And so teaching and admonishing with the love of God, no matter what the cost. And the church will be much better for it. So we come to the third element of worship, and this is probably the one that should come to mind for most of us. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um, 
Now, for most of us, that, that's a natural thing, isn't it? Um, Christians want to sing to their Lord. And I, I think here that he's, he's using these um, three, three words for it, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to say, hey, it doesn't really matter so much what type of music. You can worship God with all sorts of genres, except for rap, of course. No, Andrew, we could never have rap. Or, 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 or is it, what are you listening to? Is it grunge, rock, grunge punk or punk grunge? Or what was it? Close for close enough, yeah. No, you can't, you can't worship God with that, no. <laughs> no, we, we can worship God with all sorts of songs. I grew up in a church where, where we started having choruses. And the, and the elders' council got together and they said, we've decided to let you have choruses before church starts. You can't have it during church. You can only have hymns out of the hymn book during church. And um, there's one bloke, um, I loved him dearly, but he is an older fella and, and he, uh, he always turned up late for church. Oh, I'm not going to come for hillbillies. He just didn't think so much of the choruses. Anyway, all sorts of songs. The song that's in our heart, we can sing to the Lord. Now, we just had our, our, the carols on the blonde, uh, the Christmas carols for the combined churches, Tuesday night. And we thank the Lord that we got most of the way through before everybody was too wet. They just had to go home. Um, but something that I noticed and I mentioned and other people said it to me as well, that the singing this year seemed extra good. And even in the practices, yeah, it was because Andrew was there, yeah. Now, what it was, was we made a concerted effort to, okay, this is the combined church's carols, let's get the Christians singing, because the Christians had just stopped. And, and there was a few, you know, we sort of had more community people than we did worshipping Christians. And so we particularly focused Christians who worship every Sunday and said, hey, come and be part of this singing group and... and, and um, and praise the Lord publicly. Let people see it. Let people hear it. And the, the difference was amazing. Uh, not because we all sang in tune, because we didn't. Not because we all sang in time, because we didn't. But it was just great. And I reckon the reason why was because we weren't just singing songs, we were singing praises. And as the Christian church sings praises, God is glorified. And God was glorified as we did that. That's what Christians do. Our hearts are filled with the joy of the Lord and we sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs of all genres, except those ones Andrew listens to. And we do it with thankfulness. The very awesome wonder of God. That's what... That's what causes the whole of creation to worship. But as Christians, we add to this everything that we have to be thankful for. And our thanksgiving pours out in worship. Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, If we individually, and if we as a church, were to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, that sums it up, doesn't it? 
how could we not be the church that, that you just love being in if everything we do, we did in the name of the Lord Jesus? In whatever we say, in whatever we do, to do something in Jesus' name is to do it for the sole purpose of honouring him. You see, we've taken off our old self. It's not about self anymore. In anything that you do, you shouldn't be driven by self, and neither should I. We've taken off self and we've put on Christ. And so it's about Christ. And for us to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus, it isn't about doing what I want to do and then trying to spiritualise it by saying, oh, I'm going to play golf to give God glory. Or I'm going to go to Pistol Club to give golf God glory. Or I'm going to do the very best that I can in this business to give God glory. It's not about us choosing our own path and then saying, well, I'm going to glorify God in this. What it's about and what it means is totally surrendering ourselves, surrendering all of our hopes and all of our dreams and even all of our ambitions to him and living for him from now on. Now, who knows? He might give you some of those hopes, dreams and ambitions back. But it's about releasing them to start with and living for him from now on. And this is our worship. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12 when he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's the worship. Giving him our whole lives. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And when we as a church worship God in this way, giving him our very lives completely, when we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, that is when we will surely be the beautiful church that he's designed us to be. Let's pray. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have been so very good to us. You have lavished on us your grace and your mercy. We didn't deserve your love. We didn't deserve your grace. We didn't deserve your calling. And so our hearts are filled with thanksgiving because you have been so gracious. Lord, help us to do everything in your name, to live for you, throwing off self and putting on Christ. Teach us, Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us teachable hearts. Admonish us when we need admonishing. And give us the courage to admonish when our brother or sister needs to be warned. Lord, give us hearts of love and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.